Welcome to the Process Podcast. From new agent to broker owner. My name is Travis Lenford. This is my co-host, Preston Guyton. Welcome to the Process Podcast. Preston, how are you doing today? Good, man. Doing real good. Did you get out there and do some running today, Preston? Yep. Did four miles. Struggled. Yeah. But did it. Yeah, I think... Uh, you need to take a rest day. It's okay to rest. You don't have to run seven days a week. I'm resting tomorrow. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. So a little bit different of an episode today. Uh, no guests with us today. Just Preston and I talking. Um, lots of talk about the market. Lots of talk about a potential recession. Lots of talk about just what's happening in real estate in general. So Preston and I are going to break that down and talk about that a little bit. Preston, but talk to us. What? What in your mind has happened over the past, say, six to eight weeks that's changed and created all this conversation? Yeah, I mean, really, a lot of it, um, a lot of it has to do with the headlines you see on TV all the time. So, I mean, headlines, people hear those all the time, and, and that becomes what everybody starts talking about. Like you see it, especially locally here for us and a lot of agents we see, they're still selling a lot of property. They're still busy. You know, and and they're not paying attention to the headlines, and there there's customers out there looking to buy or looking to sell. So, you know, I think sometimes the headlines do that, but there is, there is, you know, there's information out there that shows that we, you know, we we will be in a recession at some point this year, and we may already be in one once the data comes out from the second quarter of this year. Yeah, and I think you know, if you're an agent, you listen to that, right? And there's a lot of doom and gloom out there around that easily a lot of doom and gloom out there around that but you got to think back there's really two ways you can approach that number one you could say hey you know there's the market what's going to happen to me because of the market and or you can create what's your market and i challenge you just to google search companies that have started during a recession do that google search google search i did it the other day just out of curiosity and you're going to see names like Airbnb, MailChimp, Disney, Uber, Airbnb, uh, Venmo, and, and on and on and on this list goes. Netflix was on that list as well. So these are companies that started and or grew during recessions. Even think about in your own real estate market, I can think where we're at locally, Preston, there's companies and agents that I know that are top producers and great companies, even locally, that started or grew during during the last recession right yeah i mean a lot of people you know and you get a mindset right so there's a mindset of scarcity and the mindset of abundance you know a lot of people during times of unknown will go to a mindset of scarcity where they're fearful when they freeze and then you know you have the mindset of abundance where you know there there's a lot of opportunities out there like you said there's a lot of companies and a lot of individuals that have grown throughout recessions or during times of recession when, you know, there's still people buying, there's still things happening. Um, so if you you take that mindset of abundance and focus on that, those things, you know, companies have grown during this time instead of freezing and just, you know, stopping what you're doing and trying to protect everything you have. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of opportunities to grow during the, you know, during this time. However, you know, who knows what it's going to be. I mean, there's all this speculation of, how bad it's going to be, how bad it's not going to be. Is it going to be a soft, soft landing? Is it going to be hard landing? I mean, none of us know, you know, really what we need to focus on is what we can do on a daily basis to get better, you know, to serve our clients and continue to sell more property. I think a hundred percent 
Um, but I think go back to what you said in the beginning of that, that, that mindset of scarcity or abundance, Gary Keller has a great quote from the book shift. It says how you think determines what you do and what you do determines your results. And it all starts with mindset. So it's how you approach it. I mean, I was listening to Brian Buffini, Buffini and company, Brian Buffini, um, the other day, and he, he welcomes it. He welcomes, he says, I am not scared of this. I welcome it because I know it'll eliminate competition. And it'll force, and I call forced efficiencies, it'll force me to look at my business, how efficient is it, it'll force me to increase our customer service, and it'll force me to, to add more value to relationships. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit of those three things as we progress, but he welcomes it because he knows his business is going to come out better because of it, which I think is a very interesting mindset when most people are doom and gloom around it. Yeah, I mean, you know, most people will, and he understands that, right? He looks at the historical data and sees that most people aren't going to prospect He's, he's that most people want to, you know, continue to do the things they did during a busy time, not willing to change. And then you're going to have the people that are willing to change, willing to prospect, willing to get better and willing continue, you know, to continue to grow even, even in a time when it's slowing down. So, I mean, he, he's got the data, he understands it. You know, he's been in it, been doing it a long time. So, um, you know, when you have that data and that understanding and you're willing to do the work that most people aren't willing to do or, or to learn to do then, you know, then you will, will make it through and you'll make it through better. Yeah. He actually threw a stat just, I thought it was interesting. He said uh, at the beginning of the last recession, right? 2007, 2008, there were 26 coaching companies, real estate coaching companies. At the end of that recession, there was two and his was one of them. Right. And obviously he's continued to grow that business, which I think is pretty interesting. And, you know, real estate's the same way, whatever market you're, you're in and you listen to this, there's going to be less realtors probably in the business, right? We've heard uh, Bill Pipes, one of you know one of our our coaches under John Chaplack, talk about you know three different types of agent, right? There's going to be the agent that grows their business. There's the agent that's business is going to stay the same. There's the agent that's going to go out of business. He said that at the beginning of the year, and now really I think that's coming really coming to the surface in the sense of what's happening in the market, right? You're really going to see those three things, and you're going to see a wide gap between the agent that grows their business and the agent that goes goes out of business, right? Yeah, and, you know, him sharing that early on, I mean, that's part of, you know, what you got to do to, you know, a lot of people end up being hyper-focused on the market they're in and only focusing on that. You know, when you're, when you coach with companies across the country, meet with different people across the country, a lot of those things start happening in other markets before it happens in, in our market mm -hmm. or even other markets. So, you know, we tend to be a market that sees that later. Um, so yeah, it's, it's important to be in those groups and, and around those people that see those things and pay attention to them for sure. Yeah, there's definitely, I know, uh, I was on our coaching call yesterday with John and, uh, you know, he obviously coaches teams and companies all across the country and there's, there's areas of the country that are feeling it a lot more than we are. I don't, I don't think we've really hundred percent felt it here, but I think, you know, and John said this yesterday by fall, everybody will feel it. Oh yeah. Right. So we have this conversation, not to be doom and gloom. We're having this conversation just to talk about, there's definitely things you need to focus on differently. And first let's break down the word shift. Cause I think it's a term we hear a lot that doesn't deserve the doom and gloom that it gets. Preston, when you hear the word shift in, in regards to a real estate market, what does that mean to you? I mean, it just, just means it's changing a little right. bit, you know, it's, it's changing, but it doesn't mean it's, you know, falling off a cliff. Right. You know, so obviously when something shifts, 
you usually have to make adjustments, right? No matter what you're doing, whether it's real estate, you know, steering a boat or whatever it is. I mean, if something shifts, you got to make adjustments. And, and that's what happens, you know, whether it's real estate or whatever it is, you know, the companies that aren't willing to make those shifts and make those changes to accommodate what's happening, then those are the ones that fail or, or you know, struggle throughout that process where if they make the changes and are willing to put in the work, they're willing to do the things differently that that could help them grow during that time. You know, those are the ones that will struggle. Yeah, I always use like the blockbuster video example, right? Everybody, I guess, over the age of 30 should remember blockbuster video, right? You had a little card, you went in, you rented a movie, that kind of stuff. Then Netflix came along. The first Netflix started mailing movies and took a chunk of their market share. And Netflix started this revolution of you can stay home and just stream media, right? Stream movies, stream shows, absolutely annihilated Blockbuster's business. Blockbuster didn't go out of business because they were a bad company. They went out of business because they refused to change. At one point, they could have bought Netflix. Oh, yeah. yeah right? There was that famous story out there. They could have bought that company out and they didn't see value in that type of service. But they just failed to change, right? That was a shift in their market that they they failed to adapt to. And that's the analogy I'll use for realtors. If you're a real estate agent, and there's some out there that were in business 30 plus years ago, I guarantee that the way you do business today is drastically different, right? Because you've been through market shifts. You've had to change with technology. You've had to change with, you know, at one point we were doing short sales. At one point it was foreclosures. Another point now is, hey, we got to get into this social media thing, right? There's been a lot of shifts in 30 years. This is just another point where you got to look at, okay, what's changing in the marketplace that I'm in and what adjustments do I need to make? Because I can't, if you keep doing the same thing, you're not going to get the same result in this type of, of shift. Yeah, 100%. You know, and also being around the right people. I mean, you know, not telling people to jump around companies or, or move around, but, but you need to look around, look who you're around and who you spend time with, whether it's the company you're with or whatever. And are you in the right place to make it through, you know, however deep this shift goes, um, you know, are you, are you around a, a company that, that helps with education and helps with training and, you know, does all those things with prospecting and everything else because the companies that just bought Zillow leads and made all their money off of that, that's not going to work anymore. And you'll see those, you know, the ROI and those things you'll see change because buyers aren't going to be running out and, you know, buying the first property or second property they see instead of showing, you know, two or three or four properties, you're going to have to show probably 15, 20, 25, 30 before somebody buys at some point. And it's not that we're not there yet. Who knows if we get there, but it's something I'd rather be playing for that than, than all of a sudden it, it hits and we don't know what we're going to do. What? Well, I- you know, I, I look at it like this. You say, you know, the people that surround you, and we talk about accountability a lot, right? As a company internally, our leadership team, even on the show, we've mentioned it. I say, if you're an agent, there's plenty out there. I know them. Don't resist accountability. First of all, accountability is a form of somebody caring about your business, right? It's the highest form of love. Most avoid accountability. Why? Because they don't want to face the reality of their numbers, right? Yeah. And most people... Most people don't face it like they don't want to give accountability because they feel like they're being mean. Right. You know what I mean? Like if if I call you out on something, I mean, you understand it's not being mean. It's and it's hard on the person giving the accountability because sometimes you question it. Like, you know, am I being too hard on this, this person? And what you're trying to do is help them. So I think it's both ways. I think it's hard to accept accountability, but it's also hard to give it. 
and really being around somebody that's willing to do that with you. You know, a lot of times it's not going to be your spouse or sibling or family member because, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be the one that pat you on the back and say, oh, it's going to be okay. Um, where sometimes you need somebody to kick you in the face and say, hey, you need to do this or, or be doing these things because if not, then you'll just continue on, you know, in accepting failure. Yeah, I love the term, and it's Gary Vaynerchuk's term. It's called kind candor, right? Um, there's being candid and and also being kind with it. And what it is, if you don't give me that feedback, you don't give me that accountability, and I just continue along the path that I'm on, eventually I'm going to go out of business, or eventually I'm not going to get the result I want. Or in you know our sense as like a leadership team, right? I'm affecting the other people on our team because I'm not doing my my end of the bargain. So somebody's got to give me that accountability. Otherwise, not only is it going to affect me in a negative way, it could potentially affect other people. And for a real estate agent, sometimes it's your family, oh, it's yeah. your livelihood. So that kind candor piece, you're doing somebody a favor by, you know, giving them that accountability. As an agent, you're listening to this, make sure you're, you're in an environment that doesn't avoid accountability, 100%, like whether it be to your, to you seeking it out or people that are willing to give it. Um the other thing I would talk about is make sure you're using tools you have available to you, right? A lot of agents don't use things like a CRM. Sounds crazy, but there's still agents out there that don't, or they don't use them, especially where I say, like, as a company, we use CRMs and we use it as a part of our accountability, right? We track results. What's get, you know, what gets measured gets done, right? Uh, so talk about that a little bit, the importance of accountability tracking tools like a CRM or the ability to. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, and you say a lot of people do, I'd say probably a majority have some sort of CRM, right? but they, they use it at like 10%. You know I mean? They have all these tools there and, you know, there's like, I thought we use follow boss and I've been using follow boss for in different businesses for probably about six or seven years now. And I'll talk to companies that are using it as well. And, and, you know, they're paying for this other service and this other service. And I'm like, why are you paying for all that? You could do all that within follow boss. Right. So, you know, it's not only getting the CRM CRM and understanding it, it's using it to the maximum that it could be used. Cause there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of other companies out there that you could use, but a lot of times the CRM you have ha can do all the things that you're paying for outside of that. Well, that's, that's actually two good points. Number one. And I've, I've, come across this and in, in uh, my experience consulting with agents, they'll have multiple things that they pay for that do the same stuff. Oh yeah. So when we talk about prepare yourself for a shift or a recession, prepare yourself. If you're paying multiple services to do the same thing for you, pick a CRM and make that your CRM. You don't need three or four of them. I've seen that multiple times with experienced agents. Well, they'll try this for a little bit. They'll try that and they're still paying for this, that kind of thing. But I think the main thing is, you know, I just love the way we use our CRM here. It's not a phone book. You know what I mean? It's yes, we use it for follow-up and drip campaigns and things like that, which I'll talk about in a second. But the main piece of it that I love, there's that leaderboard feature that creates internal accountability from agent to agent, right? Because people are competitive and I love that. And it's for us where we can see, oh, so-and-so didn't make any calls this week. Let's call on touch base and see what's happening and see how we can help them out. That's a form of love. I care about that person to see what's happening with them and see what's happening with their business. So where is that leaderboard? We keep ours posted right in the lobby of our company. So as an agent, when you walk in to our, our, our office, we have it front and center. 
right? Um, and it's, you know, we have a standard for the agents of, hey, this is the amount of, and it's a point system, which I love about follow boss, boss uh, kind of, I think the term now is gamify, it gamifies yeah. it. Um, so it gamifies that a little bit. Uh, so when people come in, they can see who's who's in the lead. And agents, I always see, I always, when I walk through, I see a, an agent or a group of agents standing there looking at it to see where they're at. And that's it, the point of it. And, and that's what's great about the point system as well. Um, you know, it's not just about making the calls. There's so many other things that you need to do and stay on top of. You know, so many people for the last couple of years have focused on, you know, phone calls, slide aisles you know, texting and all these things. Well, now so many mobile carriers and everything else are blocking those numbers. You know, the the phones are now getting a lot of times, you know, so you see it on your phone all the time, potential spam. So, you know, really for me, I mean, email still is is number one is, you know, we, we send out a newsletter weekly that we send out safe searches and do all those things. And one of the campaigns we run, we sent out about 400,000 emails a month. And that campaign has an open rate of about 60%. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're not going to get 60% of the people that you call. You're not going to get 60% of the people that you text. So that's why, you know, with, with the follow-up boss system and having that point system in there is great because it counts, you know, the points of the the phone calls, the conversations, the emails, and the text messages as well. Yeah, and it breaks it all of that down. Let's talk about automation a little bit. I was thinking about this on the on the drive here. Um, you know, we obviously we talked about doing this this episode, and we've become very automated across the board. You think about just service in general, really since let's just say since COVID, right? You want something to eat, you don't even talk to a human being. You go on your phone and it shows up at your door. Um, even from a marketing standpoint in our industry, a lot of stuff has become automated. And I think a lot of agents rely pretty heavily on that. And I talked about uh, you know, it's getting back to service customer service. I don't care what industry you're talking about is an all-time low, oh, you yeah. know, whether you walk into uh, a restaurant, I know around here, restaurants had a hard time hiring people, right? No, you know, that's not the, the fault, the restaurant or the workers there, but service because they're so busy and there's not enough workers, there's not a focus on service. I think the same thing has happened in real estate because we've gotten so busy in the last six to 12 months, there's not a focus on service. Yeah. And you know, everybody wants an easy button, you know, get automation. It makes it easier. Right. And and that's, you know, now you have probably, so for me, I always focused on that. Like I focused on automation, you know, back in the 2006, seven, eight range around there, because a lot of people weren't doing automation. Right. They didn't, you know, they didn't understand how they're getting a text message right away or the emails and all those things. And now, so there was a small percentage focused on automation. Now everybody is. So if you want to be different, focus on, like you said, customer service, customer experience, you know, and don't fully automate because everybody knows at this point, like you get a text message within a couple of minutes of signing up for something, mm-hmm. you know, it's automated majority of the time. So, you know, being the person, you know, a lot of times you reach out to people and I'll call people from our database and they're like, oh, wow, you're a real person. You know, you're right. somebody actually calling. So you're right. I mean, a lot of people, use automation. And those are some of the things that's going to have to go back to prospecting, actually calling people and and speaking to people, um, you know, during the times and, and the months to come. Yeah. I think, I think when the market, I hate to use the word easy, because there was a lot of challenges in terms of getting deals, except things like that, but it was easy to get in front of people, right? We'll all agree on that. I think you could be, you could have been marketing based with a little bit of prospecting, right? 
Now I think it's where you have to flip that around. We talk about that a lot with our agent. We're, we're going to lead with prospecting and back, back it up by marketing. Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, during the time, I mean, think about a lot of people, a lot of these companies were marketing, clearly marketing focused on the real estate side. You know, they don't, they didn't really have prospecting. They didn't have a prospecting uh, set up within their company. You know, they did the buying Zillow leads, buying realtor.com leads, you know, paying pay-per-click a company to run that for them. So there's a lot of those things that you paid for. And, and that's a that's a big thing that I think companies need to focus on and say, how can I bring that stuff in-house and create my own Zillow and create my own, you know, my own leads. And, you know, you could do that through SOI. You could do that through prospecting. You could do that through lead generation you know, to learn the tools and everything you need to develop a website and to to grow a website, you could do internally. And a lot of times people will just pay for those things because the money's coming in. It's, right. you know, but now is the time to look at, you know, don't look at your PL in December and be like, oh, I should have done this eight months ago. You know, we started looking at and focus on, like you said, cutting out the things we didn't need, you know, cut off the excess fat of where you're spending money and you really don't need it. You know, like I said, on the follow boss, I mean, there's a, I'm, I talked to a company a couple of weeks ago and they were paying for, I want to say three or four different softwares that follow boss could do all of it. So it saved them like $900 a month. Right. You know, so those are the things to think about, like, what can I, what do I, what's essential and what can I cut out and still survive and still get through this and, and save some money on what I'm spending each month. Yeah. Absolutely. And it comes from the cost efficiency and it, and not that you're never going to get fully away from automation. I don't want to sit here and say like, Hey, you don't need drip campaigns. You don't need mailers. You don't need stuff like that, but it, you should be a pro you should focus on prospecting and have marketing just be a backup to it. And first of all, like, what's the difference? Prospecting is where you reach out to people, right? You're making direct contact with people. Marketing is when you're hoping people contact you. What happens in a shift when it becomes a market, you know, recession and a shift, you have to find the people that want to do business. The people that want to do business aren't going to come find you. And that's very true. If you think about, I'll go back to the 07, 08 recession and, and you know, what we're headed into from what people say is probably nothing like that. But there was a stat out there I saw where, you know, they're talking about all the foreclosures that happened. And there was a stat where if, 35% of people, it was like 35 or 40% of people, if they knew they had options other than foreclosure, meaning like if a realtor were to call them and talk to them about a short sale or just getting their home on the market or trying to find a buyer, they would have went that route versus being a foreclosure. Those are people that needed a real estate agent, right? They needed help. They just didn't know what their options were, right? So that's an example of in down times, don't hide, find the people that, that, want to do business. So there's a stat out there where since 2020, Preston, 55% of buyers in some way, shape or form regret their purchase. Meaning like the house isn't big enough or the, it doesn't have enough of a yard, whatever it is. This is an Inman study, right? You can Google this and find this on Inman, 55%. So think about if you're a realtor sitting here, all the houses you sold since 2020, people made very rushed decisions, right? Like there was multiple offers. There wasn't, there was a scarcity on inventory. If you're listening, think about half the clients you sold houses to, this isn't their forever home is all it means, right? Stay in touch with these people, right? There's, there's, a, there's odds in your favor that they have a need that that house is not fulfilling, right? So don't hide from your past clients. 
this is where you can't rely on automation. The drip campaigns going to your past clients. This is where you need to double down and start calling through your database. Oh yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't want your assistant calling them either or your ISA. I mean, this is a phone call that, you know, the agent needs to set aside time. And and if it's, you know, obviously depending on how many sales you have, but say you had a hundred sales last year, which is a big number, but you could break that down on quarterly basis. And, you know, maybe it's one day of calling those people a week, which it wouldn't be that many. Um, but, you know, doing those things during this time, I mean, focused on the, the past clients is super important. And, you know, like Travis said, that's not automation. I mean, that's, you could automate obviously that, you know, sending out mailers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the phone calls, I mean, you, you don't want to slide dial somebody that, you know, which everybody realizes at this point what it is. Yeah. You know, you don't want to slide out somebody that that you sold a house to six months ago, right? Because because they might, you know, like I said, might be in a situation where you know they were rushed in and bought something, or they might know somebody that wants to buy something. So you know, reaching out and you know telling them up front, you know, hey, this I was just calling to kind of check in, but also you know this is a business call as well. But and then go into like family and you know how things are going and how the house is going and everything else. You know, I think it's important to to, you know, call those people and reach out. Yeah, absolutely. I think shifting gears a little bit, Preston, you know, we've talked a lot with our agents also about building that listing skill, right? You know, that listing muscle a little bit. And I think for both sellers and buyers, but mainly on the selling side now, going into this shift, going into this recession, I think for an agent, the ability to manage people's expectations needs to be your superpower. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and understand that, you know, how many people really, how many people really out there know how to do a correct CMA? Right. You know, what was the CMA six, eight months ago, eight months ago? It was going to sell. What do you think of yourself? Okay. That sounds good. You know, it's about 10% higher than a house sold three, four months ago would put it on. And, you know, a lot of times you had a multiple offers, you know, and, and that's part of, I think what you're saying with the price reductions here locally is because it continued that same format and now they're not getting offers. Um, you know, you see a lot of price reductions, continue to see more price reductions and not, it's because of it's being priced upfront too high where you see a house that goes on the market that's in a, you know, competitive price point, it still gets two or three offers. Um, you know, so, so setting, like I said, setting it up upfront and saying, Hey, you know, if you list this price, this house too high, you're going to miss that window of where you usually get the most amount for your house. Um, so mm-hmm. like I said, doing learning listing presentations and how to, how to, you know, go through that process is, is very important right now. Yeah. It's extremely important. And it starts with managing expectations a hundred percent. I think, you know, I talk to agents every day where they're going on a listing appointment or can't coming from a listing appointment where sellers have these expectations up here, right? Because of what the market's been and and they think, wow, I can bought my house two years ago for 300,000. We can throw it on the market at 650 and have an offer accepted in 10 days. And that's not happening, right? That's stopped. We're back to more of a normal market. Yeah, I think there's phases that they're going to go through. A lot of those sellers are in denial that the market has shifted, right? Where you manage expectations is you're kind of counseling them through that process so they have accepted it. And like Preston said, you have to be able to show them data where, hey, there's still multiple offers happening on homes, but we got to listen to what the market's telling us, where it should be priced. I dug this stat up too. I thought it was pretty interesting. I like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of history. I think history teaches us what's going to happen or what can happen and how we should act to it. 
So going back to like the 07, 08 recession, right? The real estate recession that we went through. Um, there was a study done in the Atlanta market in 2008 where homes entered the market overpriced, right? Statistically overpriced and had to take a price reduction. This is the year 2008 in Atlanta versus entering the market at the correct price where, the, where it should have been priced per market data. And the days on market for those two, uh, for the homes that entered overpriced, they were on market for 116 days on average. The homes that entered the market, this is during the recession, peak of the recession, entered the market priced according to what market data said they should be priced at, 40 days on market. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. And that's the difference between an agent who managed the expectations and said, hey, this is what you can expect if we price it here versus the agent who said, hey, we can try that, right? Yeah. And people, you know, what did they lose in that extra 50, 60 days? You know, price as far as like their expenses and things that they had to pay for, you know, if there was a mortgage on the house, mm -hmm. I mean, how much were they paying in interest on top of that? Another you know. stat that that's uh, pretty interesting about all that is not only did the homes that were priced correctly in 2008 sell at less than half the time of the homes that were overpriced, they actually sold for more money. So on average in this study, when the homes started taking price reductions, they actually ended up selling below the market average. You got to think if you're a buyer who walks into a house and the house has been on the market for a hundred plus days, what's the first thing that enters your mind? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get it for less than what they're asking. Exactly. And then, and then it gives the mindset, right? If you're the seller, you're like, okay, it's been on the market for 120 days, 110 days. You know, I don't want to reject this offer or counter this offer because I'm scared they'll walk away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think what you're saying is right. Obviously, if, if you do that price correctly in that, show, you know, the, the original time frame, that window, you'll, you'll get a higher offer. I think a good thing from a service and relationship standpoint is take advantage of the, the days on market. Homes are homes a year, year and a half ago would go on the market. You'd have an offer within a couple hours, right? You had no opportunity as an agent to market the home, right? do an open house, market it on social media, make the videos. Each one of those listings outside of the market we were just in, each one of those listings really should generate two other sales, right? Whether you met buyers that came into an open house or maybe you met neighbors from calling through the neighborhood, let them know you just listed a home or mailers, all that kind of stuff. I would say a key thing to think about is, okay, you have a house, you know it's priced right, it's a good looking house, if you're in a market where, you, okay, we're not getting 12 offers in 12 hours, that kind of thing anymore, take advantage of that time on market. Actually market the home just from a standpoint of trying to drive more business. And then also you're providing better service for your client and it gives you more of an opportunity to build relationships. Yeah. I mean, open houses for sure. Like six months ago, eight months ago, we, we saw it in our office where they would plan an open house and they would have an offer yeah. accepted before the open house and then they would cancel the open house. Um, so, you know, being able to do and funny story, the first house I ever sold was actually from an open house. I actually did an open house for an agent in our office. It was in Merle's Inlet and uh, I was, it was raining. It was just a nasty day in like November. It was raining on a Saturday and these clients came in and they looked at the house and they actually got stood up by an agent that was supposed to show them property like they got in town. So they came from out of town. It was a couple and they had a, a young daughter. And uh, yeah, they were stood up, just happened to walk into the open house I was at. 
they didn't really like that house, but they ended up buying something else in, in Litchfield. But, you know, it's because of that open house that and an agent not doing their job, you know, it just, which was, which is crazy to me that somebody came in town to meet them and they didn't even call them back. Right. Um, but that just goes to show you, you know, doing open houses and things like that work, whether it's in, they didn't buy that house, but they ended up buying another house. So it, um, it is, it is good for, as a new agent, I was a new agent at the time. It's definitely a good thing to do for sure. Absolutely. Last thing I want to touch on Preston is just lead generation in, in general. Um, I think what happens when the market gets hard for an agent, they tend to take this shotgun approach to generating business, right? Hey, I'll call past clients a little bit. You know, I'm going to buy this lead leads from here. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try this. Right. And they end up very spread, very thin in terms of what they're trying to do. If you're an experienced agent and you're listening to this, I would go back and look at your last 12 to 18 months worth of transactions put the piece of paper in front of you and figure out where they came from, right? If you had eight, eight, 10 transactions in the last year or 20 transactions last year and 80% of them came from, you know, company driven leads, then I would double down and calling in your company's pool of database. I would do more of that. If 80% of your business came from past clients, I would lean into that a little bit harder. But if only one came from that lead generation source that you pay hundreds or or close or thousand dollars a month for that's probably where i would trim away a little bit and spend more time in the four to five that gave you the most uh return on whatever time or money investment that you've made Preston, you have any insight on that yeah i mean for sure i mean uh, i would focus on that you know whatever that say it's 80 percent of them came from one i would i would you know it doesn't necessarily have to be three to four i mean it could be maybe it's one to two or two to three yes. whatever it is but definitely focus on that area and that that'll and look at those stats because I think a lot of people were so busy they weren't really paying attention to, you know, how what their ROI was on certain things. So that's a time to look at that, you know, the past 12 to 18 months and see and and figure out your true expenses and then look at your income and see if they make sense because it, it's definitely a time to cut some of that away for sure. And, and expenses is one thing, but it's also use of time. Oh yeah. You know, like your time is extremely valuable. This is a business where you could work 80 hours a week and make $0. Or you can work 30 hours a week and make a bunch of money, right? You got to figure out where am I best using my time? And you got to lean really hard into that. And if you're a brand new agent listening to this, some of our some of our audience is brand new to business. This is where you get with the leadership in your company and ask them to help you guide the ship. What's going to give me the biggest return on my time and money investment and creates a business for me because we're coming out of a market where you could react and do business. We're going into a market. It's not a bad thing, but we're going into a market where you have to proactively take action and you got to proactively take the right action. Yep. And, and historically, I mean, prospecting will always show it's usually the highest ROI. Yes. It just takes time, right? It takes your own time, but if you become good at it, you know, you could, the income you could see from prospecting and prospecting, when I say prospecting, and I think you touched on this earlier, I don't mean just calling like cold leads in your database. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could be calling past clients that's prospecting, you know, so doing those things and it's not just calling, emailing and touching base, but I want to say prospecting is not just, you know, calling expireds or, or, you know, or a neighborhood. I mean, there, there's different, it, there's different things to prospecting. So getting better at that during this time is, is definitely something should, should focus on. Yeah. One thing I loved, we, we really put an emphasis on, calling more, not less in our company. And one thing I love, we, we come in, 
each one of us in our leadership team comes in once a week with a group of agents and we prospect with them. Right. And I love it. Cause it, like you said, I think I heard you say it kind of gets you back to your roots a little bit. I enjoy it. Like I yeah. look forward to just kind of getting in there, making the calls and you know, you're feeling what the agents are feeling or you're having the success that the agents are, are, are having. Preston and I, you know, we don't list or sell. We hand those leads off once we, we convert them, but it's, it's that leadership by example of getting in there and you have to prospect first and then be backed by marketing, I think is key. And to kind of wrap up the conversation, go back, look at your business and break it down into three different categories. Number one, how am I valuing the relationships past clients? How am I taking care of them? So they keep coming back or refer me business. Cause that's key. When the market slows down, you have to have those key relationships. Number two, how's my customer service and be honest with yourself. How is my customer service? How has it been over the past 12 months? Are there situations I can think back of or I could have taken better care of somebody because we're not perfect humans? There probably is. How can you improve customer service? And the third thing is business efficiency, which we've talked a lot about. Are there things I'm paying for that I don't need? Is there places I'm spending my time, which I think is key. I think is where most realtors struggle. Is there places I'm spending my time that is not the most efficient? Are there lead sources I spend a lot of time and money on that is not the most efficient. And I think you have to look at those three different categories of your business and have, a, a, like Preston started this off with, have an abundant mindset of this is a good thing, not a bad thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to improve my business and grow my business because I'm looking at these three things and making improvements. Preston, anything, any last thoughts? Yeah, I mean, as far as time too, it's not, it's not what you're spending time on, or are you, are you spending enough time on, on the activities? Right. Like, are you doing, are you spending too much time not in your business and, and not doing the work? So it's, it's not only time spent on things in your business, but outside the business, can you, can you dedicate more time to prospecting instead of doing something else? You know, that's something to look at as well. You know, I think is, as you say that I thought of this and you and I talk a lot about this just in general, if you spend your time on the right things in your business, it's funny how then you turn around, you're able to spend more time to write things outside of your business, you know, right. like your family or things that are, are that, you know, valuable and important to you. So focusing your time on the right things has such a return on investment on where you want to focus your time outside of your business. Guys, with that, have a great rest of your day. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the process. Make sure you click like, subscribe, leave a review, all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you soon. See ya. Yeah.